0: Thank you uh, for being with us and uh, spending your Wednesday night with us. Looking forward to tonight. I'm going to move up just a little bit here. There we go. Looking forward to tonight and uh, what God has in store for us and looking forward to uh, what we're going to hear tonight. And we just pray that it's the Lord's words tonight and uh, his inspired word. Um, And so let's pray and ask the Lord to be in this place tonight. And uh, to join you wherever you are that are watching via live stream, uh, that you will feel his presence. Lord, we thank you for your presence, being in this house tonight, meeting us here. We ask that your touch will uh, minister to our hearts tonight. Let your Word speak to our hearts tonight. Speak to our minds tonight. Open our hearts to receive this word. Open our ears to hear this word. And open our mouths to speak this word. Lord, we pray for those that are not able to be with us due to sickness or other health complications, and those that are traveling home from work, or those that may be watching at work, we ask that you would be with them right now, let your anointing fill wherever they are, and let them hear this word tonight, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, let's get into the word tonight, we're going to go to the book of John, and uh, I'm actually going to be reading from the message, but... uh, But this translation, uh, it it mirrors pretty well um, the translation of a King James or a New King James, uh, if that's your preference uh, of Bible. Um, And so while you're going there, I do want to remind you for all of our men, uh, this Saturday morning at 8 o'clock, we'll be meeting at Wahoo's for breakfast. And uh, we had a great time of fellowship a couple months ago. And uh, so invite somebody with you to come with you. It's going to be a great time. And uh, that's going to be fun. Sunday night, uh, hymns and pie, 5 o'clock. Bring a pie, any kind of pie, pizza pie, chicken pot pie, beef pot pie, apple pie, cherry pie, pumpkin pie, any kind of pie that you want to bring. And uh, we're going to be singing some hymnals and uh, some different things. We may take some requests, Sister Connie, or we may just right off the cuff. But we're going to have a good time. We could do that. We could do that. Might get some of y'all to come up and sing with us. Yeah. That'll be good. That'll be good. So we're going to do that over in the Lighthouse Room. That'll be at 5 o'clock. And uh, going to be a great time of fellowship there. So John chapter 20. John chapter 20. The Bible says that later on that day. Now this is uh, the day of the crucifixion. uh, The day that Jesus died, Friday. Later on that day... The disciples had, I'm sorry, the day of the resurrection, uh, this was Sunday. The day that the disciples gathered together, fearful of the Jews. They had locked all the doors in the house. And Jesus entered, and he stood among them. And he said, peace to you. And then he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples, seeing the master with their own eyes, were awestruck. And he repeated his greeting, once again, he said, peace to you, just as the Father sent me, I send you. And then he took a deep breath, and he breathed into them, receive the Holy Spirit, he said. If you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. If you don't forgive sins, well, what are you going to do with them? Another translation says, if you don't forgive sins, then they won't be forgiven. Thomas, sometimes called the twin, another version calls him Didymus, which means twin. He was one of the twelve. He was not with them when Jesus came that night. Later, the other disciples told him, we saw the master, we saw Jesus. And he said, unless I see the nail holes in his hands, put my finger in the nail holes, stick my hand in his side, I won't believe it. For that one verse, Thomas got his name, Doubting Thomas. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. For that one thing, that's all he said. Unless I see the the nails in his hands and put my finger in those holes and stick my hand in his side, I won't believe it. And Thomas forever became known as Doubting Thomas. Eight days later, now here's the kicker, eight days later, His disciples were again in that same room, but this time Thomas was with them. Thomas said, I ain't going to miss anything else again. I'm going to get with you guys. Jesus came again through the locked doors, stood among them and said, peace to you. Then he focused his attention on Thomas. He said, take your finger and examine my hands. Take your hand and stick it in my side. Don't be unbelieving. Believe. Then Thomas realized who it was, and he said, Master, my God. Jesus said, so you believe because you've seen with your own eyes? Even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. Jesus provided far more God-revealing signs than are written down in this book. These are written down so you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in the act of believing have real and eternal life in the way that he personally revealed it. So during the day of Jesus Christ, Christ was a very controversial character. He did things that caused quite a bit of cynicism in his generation. Jesus was a trendsetter. He was a rule breaker. He didn't play by the rules. He did things that were out of the ordinary. And he not only aggravated the Roman authorities, but he was a thorn in the flesh of the religious leaders as well. His disciples ate without washing their hands. He traveled distances on the Sabbath that was not approved of. He touched people, though they shouldn't have been touched. And one woman with the issue of blood, according to the law, would never be able to touch Jesus because of her issue. She was able to get to Jesus And touched the hem of his garment. And when she did, he didn't even rebuke her. Sometimes being in the will of God will cause you to be out of the grace of people. There's times when you are in the will of God, but it will cause you to be out of the grace of people. All of us go through a time in our lives where people are not with us. Those who we thought would always be there... ...are not there for us. Because it's then, and only then... ...that you begin to recognize the faithfulness of God. You can only begin to see the power of God... ...as you understand the frailty of men. The very core of the Jesus movement, if you will... ...was shaken when Jesus was arrested. Wrongly convicted and nailed to a cross. And then all of a sudden it was no more popular... ...to be called one of his disciples... So when we step into our text today, there is a great deal of fear in this room. The disciples are scared of the the Jewish leaders and what's going to happen. Are they too going to be arrested and wrongfully convicted and crucified like Jesus was? The disciples had been used to healing sick people. They had been sent out two by two to cities and to revolutionize the way that people think. They were locked behind closed doors like scared little children, scared to death because life had pushed them beyond their limits and they were spent. They were exhausted, they were tired. And Jesus now had been crucified and he was dead. And they knew he was dead because they watched him take his last breath. They helped put him in the tomb. They helped roll the the stone in front of the tomb. Many laid down their lives. They, They quit their jobs and they left their careers to follow. Jesus. Many of them left families to go follow Jesus. They withstood controversy of their own family to follow Jesus. They had forsaken their business affairs and the routines of that day to follow Jesus. And they were so sure that he was going to set up his kingdom on earth that there was some debate over who was going to even sit on the right hand and who was going to sit on the left side. But all of those debates were irrelevant now because Jesus was dead. And seemingly there was no kingdom and there would be no kingdom until all of a sudden in the midst of their fear, here comes Jesus. The Jesus that they knew or they thought they knew, he was in a tomb. The Jesus that they walked with, that they fished with, he was in a tomb. The Jesus that they had had a stone rolled in front of the tomb to keep him in the tomb, or rather keep anyone from taking him out of the tomb, that same Jesus appeared in the room and he ministered a word of peace in the time of stress. He said, peace be unto you, and he walks right in and speaks peace. This is a representative of the disconnect that we have with God. Because sometimes God is saying that that there's some things over here while you're feeling that something is over here. And if you don't grasp it by faith, you won't be able to grasp it by all. It's amazing how God can talk to you about prosperity when you're struggling on the brink of poverty. It's amazing how God can minister to us through that. It's amazing how God can talk to you about ministering to somebody's needs at a time that you wish you had somebody to minister to you. It's amazing how God will stand up in your life and give you a word for somebody while you are waiting for a word for yourself. And so into this bleak and dismal atmosphere, Jesus comes. And and I'll tell you, it it, it was not their faith that brought Jesus into the room. The disciples didn't have faith that day. The disciples didn't know what was it. It was not their faith ...that brought Jesus into the room. The Bible is quite clear that they were fearful. And it's important that somebody teaches us... ...that that we don't earn God's presence just because we have faith. We don't earn His presence just because we say... ...that we are the most faithful member that there is. We won the award for being the most faithful member. Or the the member who has the most faith. Sometimes God will stop by... ...even when you are faithless... We, I talked to you about it Sunday. In the midst of your shame, God will still come to you. When you feel like there's nothing else that you can do and nobody else can, can help you and everything else is going wrong in your life, or maybe you've made your own messes and now you have to, you know, what it, you've, you've made this mess and now you have to sleep in it or something like that. God will still run to you. He'll still come to you. The Bible is very clear that these men were fearful, but God still... Came. They were fearful and intimidated. They were insecure. And yet he showed up anyway and he said, Peace be unto you. But that sermon that he gave them, Peace be unto you, it didn't move the disciples. It didn't change his disciples. Peace be unto you did not bring them to their knees and say, Yes to the Lord. The Bible says he said, Peace be unto you. But they weren't changed until they saw his wounds. When they saw his wounds, the Bible says, then they were glad. He proved the authenticity of who he was by how he suffered. When Jesus showed them the wounds in his side and the nail prints in his hands, then they were glad. They realized this is the master. They were rejoicing. They were all excited except for one of them. One of them wasn't there. One of them was missing. He was gone. He just wasn't anywhere to be found. They tried texting him, but he didn't answer. (laughs) Tried calling him, he didn't pick up. As the the generation now say, he ghosted them. He He didn't take nothing. But what I love about Jesus is Jesus taught his disciples the power of a set. The power of a team. Even though they were glad, the value of their joy could not be complete in the absence of their brother. How many of you have ever lost one shoe? It is one of the worst feelings in the world because you want to wear this pair of shoes. But there's one missing. And you'll go all over that house. Some of it, I've even went out to my car. I've went out to everywhere. And I thought, is there anywhere that I could have put this shoe? Why, how did my shoe? And then when you find it, how did it end up there? Jesus said there's power in a set. There's power in two, in numbers. He said, if you have 99 sheep and one of them is not there, one of them is missing, what do you do? Well, hope it's okay. Hope it finds its way back to us. No, he said, you leave the 99 and go after the one because the power is in the set. You can't rest until everything God said you were supposed to have is available to you. In fact, the disciples could remember vividly the story of the woman that had 10 coins, and lost one of the coins, and she went and she swept the house of God, or the, her house, going after one coin. She had, she had her coins, but she lost, she lost one, but she swept the house. She shook the curtains. She flipped the mattress. She moved the, 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 the cushions. She looked for that one coin. They couldn't understand. The disciples couldn't understand. They lost Judas. This time they had lost Judas. There's nothing that they could do about Judas. And if you look at Judas, he was the son of perdition. He actually fulfilled his purpose in his betrayal. So really, you can't count Judas as gone because Judas had already done what he had been called to do. He was the son of perdition. He came, he did what he was supposed to do. And the problem was that in his despair, Judas committed suicide. So now there's only 10 in the room and the Bible goes through the trouble to specifically tell us who is missing. It specifically tells us who is in trouble. It says, but Thomas was not there. Have you ever been in a service and you wish that a person that you have been ministering to all week was there and the minister was saying exactly what they needed to hear that Sunday or that Wednesday? And you're thinking, oh, if they would only be here right now. Oh, I hope they're watching the live stream. I hope they're. And then you're texting them going, if you're not watching, you need to jump on. Or when you leave your column, you missed it today. You need to go watch the live stream. You need to get the CD. You need to get the tape. Do we still do tapes, Brother Aaron? We don't do tapes anymore, do we? You need to get the CD. You need to get the video. You've got to watch it. And it's a shame because people will not be faithful. Because sometimes our breakthrough is in just being faithful. Sometimes you get what you need just by being faithful to the house of God. And when you are faithful, God will show you what to do. But but Thomas wasn't there. One of us is in trouble. The disciples knew it. So when they found him, they came together. They were excited and they began to tell Thomas all the things of the Lord. Oh, Thomas, you missed it. Thomas, I wish you would have been there. Jesus showed up in the room. He was in the room. Jesus, remember, you know, he, we saw, he was gone out of the tomb, but, but he showed up in the room. And you know how when you're in the room, you want the person to be excited for you when you buy a new car or maybe you get a new house or a new pair of shoes or, or you know, something great happens in your life, you want to share it with someone, you want them to be just as excited. That's how they wanted Thomas to feel. And instead of joining into the fellowship of the righteous, Thomas goes, well, unless I see it, unless I put my hands into his nail-scarred hands, unless I can put my hand into his side, I'm not hearing any of it. And the attitude that Thomas had reveals that one of us is in trouble. you got to realize that Jesus only has 40 days to show himself alive. Before he's taken out. And then there is the 10 day wait for Pentecost. He only has 40 days to deliver a message of resurrection. So powerful that 2,000 years later we'd be sitting here and people are hearing the word. Jesus only had 40 days to present an abstract idea that he is risen from the dead. And he doesn't have time to waste. And yet in the Bible it says that Jesus now made a second trip. So he came once. He showed himself to the disciples. Thomas wasn't there. So they went to Thomas. They found Thomas. They told him all about it. So now here they are, eight days later, and and, and Thomas is now with them, and Jesus comes. The ten that were in the room the first day were already convinced. They were already persuaded. They were already excited. But Jesus himself, not a representative, not an angel, not an ambassador, not a royal diadem, but Jesus came back for one person. I want to thank Jesus tonight because he came back for me. He came back for you. He didn't have to do it, but he came for you. He came back for me. In spite of my unbelief, he came back for me. He didn't come to Thomas because Thomas was holy. He didn't come to Thomas because Thomas was great. Thomas was faithless. And still, Jesus came for him. He appeared to Thomas. He came into the room, but then he focused on Thomas. When you couldn't get to Jesus, he came to you. When you can't get to Jesus, he will come to you. So let's talk about this eight days... The Bible says after eight days he came back. He appears and he does the whole thing all over again for an audience of one. Everything was all the same. He came in through the locked doors. He said, peace be unto you. And then he saw Thomas and he went to Thomas. If you were the only person left on the planet, the only one left on this earth, he still would have died on the cross for you. Because you are so special to God that he would come if there wasn't anybody left but you. Okay, well, I I get that, Pastor, but but you said the eight days. What's the eight-day thing here? Well, I believe that the writer takes a little bit more time to tell us that it was eight days. I believe that John took a little bit more time to say there was eight days here. Because there's eight days that's significant. When you go back to the Old Testament, God told Abraham to circumcise his son when he was eight days old, to cut away at the flesh at eight days old. Joseph and Mary come to the New Testament. They took Jesus when he was eight days old to the temple that he might be circumcised according to the law when he was eight days old. And suddenly we can realize that Jesus comes to Thomas because Thomas represents our flesh. If the flesh is not going to cut away, and not going to be cut away, it's going to hinder the ten. It will hinder the ten from going into what God has for them. There has to be unity. There has to be unity. So, in order for Thomas to be unified with the other ten, Jesus had to come back for the flesh eight days later. Later in the book of Acts, we see that they were all in one place and in one accord. The flesh was now enough to hinder them. ...from being ready to receive the anointing of the Holy Ghost. So Jesus had to come back for the one. And on the eighth day, they brought the baby Jesus in... ...and Anna Anna and Simeon, they came out to meet him. We always think about that one drop of blood that he shed on the cross. That one drop of blood. But you know, the first drop of blood was not at the cross. The first drop of blood was shed in the temple... ...the eighth day after Jesus was born. He cut the flesh to fulfill the law so you and I would not be debtors to the law. So there was something about eight days. Eight days away from a major transformation. Eight days from yoke being destroyed out of our lives. Eight days going from division to clear vision. Jesus came on the eighth day. Why? Because one of us is in trouble. And I'm trying to get you to understand tonight that if one of us is in trouble then all of us are in trouble. One of my favorite movies growing up was The Three Musketeers. And what was, the, what was their slogan? All for one, one for all, and all for one. One of my favorites, and I can't even quote it right. <laughs> one for all, and all for one. If one of us is in trouble, we're all in trouble. God isn't going to step over you, or you, or you, or you, ...because he sees us corporately. And if one of us is in trouble, then we're all in trouble. He's going to come back. But let's look at this even a little bit more deep tonight. The Bible says that Thomas was called, in the Greek, Didymus. Thomas was called Didymus. It's interesting that this Thomas who was called Didymus... ...because Thomas is a Hebrew word that means twin... Didymus is the Greek rendering for the word twin. So that's why tonight when we read out of the message version... ...we saw that uh, But Thomas, sometimes called the twin, sometimes called Didymus. One man, though, was called twin. Whether you spoke his name in Hebrew or Greek... ...whether you called him Thomas or whether you called him Didymus... ...when you called him, you were calling him twin... His name was Twin. He is not a twin. He doesn't have a twin. His name is Twin. Boy, the more you say twin, the more you think. Is that a real word that you're saying there? It's one of those words. So when I say that one of us is in trouble, you may think that I'm talking about one of the disciples just being missing. I'm talking about one of them. I'm talking about within you. One of your twins. Thomas's twin himself. I've got a twin. Y'all didn't know that, did you? His name's not Jordan, and he didn't preach here a few weeks ago. But I've got a twin, and he wears the same size shoe that I wear. He wears the same jacket size, pants size. He drives my car. He lays in my bed, he goes to my job, he looks like me, but it's it's not me, it's, it's another me. So what I'm telling you is that one of us is in trouble. You won't get this message until you're willing to admit that there is a difference between the person that you appear to be and the person that you are. Now this message may not be for you tonight, but don't tune me out because you can take this and give it to someone else. You won't understand what I'm talking about until you acknowledge the fact that we've got two different voices talking to us all the time. One of them is telling us to do right. One of them is telling us to do wrong. We won't get it until we can understand that we can smile in front of people, but be dying on the inside. And nobody ever knows that one of us is in trouble. You see all the time about people who commit suicide at the top of their career. And you, you may think, well, I just drank coffee with her yesterday. I saw him the other day and he was smiling and he was talking. We were having a great time. How could that happen? And it's because you thought it was one person that sat down in the chair, but you didn't realize that it was actually their twin sitting in the chair. One of them was smiling while the other one was in trouble. And the problem with the church today, not, not just our church, but the church in general... ...is that we spend too much time dealing with one twin... ...and not enough time dealing with the other. And until we can get both of us out of that ditch... ...we'll never be free because one of us is in trouble. Because there's two sides to every person. There's a person inside of the person... ...and he or she can be in trouble... ...and nobody knows it. Most people know you superficially... ...or who know you so superficially... ...they've never developed the discipline... To find out the multiplicity of who you are, there's people that, that they know me as a pastor. They don't know me as a bus driver. They don't know me as a father. They don't know me as a husband. They don't know me as a friend. They just know me as a pastor. There's some people that they only know me as a bus driver, a mean, old, grumpy bus driver. Get in, sit down, let's go. I don't even act like that. Say, Good morning. Hey, Mr. Hopper's so mean. I say, i mean? <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> but Some of us, there's multiple personalities to us that we don't want to deal with. And we are so image conscious that we can come forward and we send the representatives out. We present a smile. We greet the We could be so angry at ourselves in the car, angry at our spouse in the car, angry at the kids. When we get into this church, you better get in there, sit down, shut up, mind your business. And you come in, hey, praise the Lord. God bless you. Good to see you today. Yeah, these are my kids. So happy to see you in the house of the Lord today. Pastor, is that you? Some days I feel like it is, but it's not. But what we have done is we come in and we don't want people to see the real us. So we put up this facade, we put up this mask, and and we praise the Lord. God bless you. Good to see you this morning. Bless the wonderful name of Jesus. And nobody knows or has a clue that behind that smile, there's a twin who is hurting, who is broken, and is wounded. You see, real ministry is not when you deal with the first one. Real ministry is when you get to the second one. It's not a cane. It's Abel. It's not Esau. It's Jacob. Real ministry is always the second twin. That's what makes us weep and worship, raise our hands, cry out to God. Because the word got beyond the superficial and it got down to the meat and the bones of who you are. And it touched the one that was in trouble. And that's why God says, I hate a proud look. A proud look will stop you from being ministered to. A proud look will block you from getting glory because you have to be humble to receive ministry. You have to lower yourself and say, Lord, I need you to touch me. I am broken. I am hurting. I am worried. I am the the distrust me pain in me, here I am I don't care who's looking, I don't care what they say, I don't care what they do I need help tonight and today because one of us is in trouble one of us wants to go to church but the other one wants to stay home in pajamas one of us wants to skip and leap and praise God and the other one is barely making it, one of us wants Krispy Kreme and the other one well we're we, we probably need kale and salad and more healthy stuff. One of us wants grilled, the other one really wants fried. Am I talking your language yet? One of us is absolutely a believer. And one of us just really isn't sure. One of us is in trouble. That's why Thomas wasn't there. Because one of us wasn't there. He said, yeah, I just, I just I'm not going. I'm not going this morning. I don't feel it today. I'm not, I, I can't wake up to this. I don't feel like getting dressed. I don't feel like going and seeing people. I don't feel like like putting on a smile. I'm just not going to go. But remember when I told you about those verses where Thomas said, unless I see it, I won't believe it. We've got to apologize to Thomas. You may not want to apologize to Thomas, but I I feel like I need to apologize to Thomas because I have not dealt fairly with Thomas. Since I was a kid, I have always been told about doubting Thomas. I have always said that he is doubting Thomas. Good to have Brother Peter preaching to us today out of the book of Acts. Good to have Brother John baptize us today. Good to have Brother doubting Thomas he's gonna bring us all back down to a, to a different level down here I heard he was doubting Thomas and I spread the rumor my dad told me he was doubting Thomas so I told you he was doubting Thomas guy down the street said he was doubting Thomas so I tweeted and I Facebooked. he's doubting Thomas I heard a rumor I spread it I'm guilty But if Thomas was here today, I think I need to apologize because because maybe that's what's keeping Thomas from being in contact with Jesus. Maybe what's keeping you from being in contact with Jesus is stuff that they've been saying about you. So Thomas, I apologize to you. Thomas, if you're watching by live stream tonight, I apologize to you. For the wrong perception about you. I apologize to Thomas because I judged his whole life over one moment of weakness. We have summarized his whole discipleship because of one brief moment of frailty. Because see, Thomas wasn't always a doubter. When Jesus was going to be crucified, Thomas said, let us go that we might die with him. If you're willing to die for what you believe, that doesn't sound like a doubter to me. So why have, why have we given him a permanent name over a temporary situation? They called him Doubting Thomas. I have preached that he was Doubting Thomas. But Thomas wasn't Doubting Thomas. He was Discouraged Thomas. I respect Thomas. If we really want to get into it, Thomas was actually better than Peter at that moment. You mean Peter who preached the message of salvation, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, when Peter thought they were going to kill him, he denied the Lord. Three times. Judas betrayed the Lord. Thomas said, I'll die with the Lord. And I admire Thomas because of what he did. Thomas took that doubting and that discouraged self and he drugged that doubt right onto church anyway. Thomas didn't have joy. He didn't have any dance. He didn't have any peace. But he came anyway. And I'm not trying to guilt trip anyone tonight or, or black, uh, 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 emotionally blackmail anybody tonight. I'm just telling you sometimes you got to do everything in your power to get to church. To get around the fellowship of people. ...who are of like-minded faith... ...you've got to drag your doubting... ...you've got to drag your worry... ...your fearful and burdened self... ...and come anyway. And you can say, well, I don't feel anything... ...but, but I'm, I'm available. Listen, if you don't drag your flesh to Jesus... ...your flesh will drag you to hell. Let me just say that again. If you don't drag your flesh to Jesus... Your flesh will drag you to hell. But Thomas brought his flesh to Jesus. And so here we come. We bring our doubts. We bring our fears. We bring our worries. I'm still here, Jesus. I'm sitting in the church, but one of us is in trouble. And Jesus appears in the room, and he comes for an audience of one. I don't know who I'm talking to tonight, but the Lord has told me to tell you, not the of you... Okay, I'm not looking for the churchy you, the, 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 the gospel you, the Bible reading you, the, the praise singing you, the, the worker you, the volunteer you. I'm looking for the twin. I'm here to preach to you or talk to you for the part of you that is weary, that is worn, that is tattered, that is torn. Thomas wasn't so much a doubter as he was just simply discouraged. Discouraged is the absence of... Of courage. He was losing courage because believing hurts. Believing will get you in trouble. Believing will make friends walk away and leave you. Believing will get you thrown out of cliques. It'll get you thrown out of clubs. You could have maybe gotten a promotion. Sometimes it hurts to believe. Believing will cause you to give your all And get nothing in return. Thomas had given his all and had seen nothing in return. And there he was in a mess. Jesus did not establish the kingdom like they thought he was going to. He did not do what Thomas thought he was going to do. Thomas didn't ever want to go through that again. Thomas was discouraged. And I've been where, I've I've been there. I I feel that way sometimes even when I'm the one preaching. Don't, Don't preach to me, pastor. Don't talk to me today. Don't preach to me, just leave me alone. Don't encourage me today. Don't preach revival to me. I believe God, but I still lost my job. I believe God. I paid my tithes, but I lost my car. And I don't want you to preach any of that stuff to me. I tried to believe God like you said. It didn't work for me. And now I'm hiding because sometimes it looks like believing doesn't work. I've been there, ladies and gentlemen. I have been there. Have you ever been discouraged? Have you ever, have you ever just got tired of fighting? Have you ever just wanted to walk in and just plop down in a chair and just... Because you don't have any more to get... You don't have any more finances to give. You don't have any more energy to give. You don't have any more wisdom to give. You don't have any more peace to give. Have you ever gotten a state where you didn't want anybody to encourage you? Like the woman in the Bible who said, don't even tell me that I'm going to have a child. I don't want to believe again and get excited again and then get disappointed again. Thomas is in trouble. And here comes Jesus right into the trouble. You do know that Jesus is a present help in the time of trouble. One of the very first verses I ever learned out of the Bible was Nahum 1 and 7. The Lord is good in the stronghold of the day of trouble. The Lord is good in the stronghold of the day of trouble. The Lord is good in the stronghold of the day of trouble. I learned that verse when I was about four years old. And and I I have never forgot it. At the time, I didn't know what it meant. I just knew that the Lord is good in the stronghold of the day of trouble. But as I got older in life, and, I, and I, got into, I got into middle school, and I got into high school, and, and, and some of you may think it's funny, but I wasn't so great in school. I, was, I had trouble in school. They had me tested for everything under the sun, and I didn't pass any of the tests for nothing. didn't figure out what was wrong with me. I, had, I wasn't on a spectrum. I wasn't below. or I just I couldn't figure it out. They tested me for dyslexia, and apparently I, was, I didn't have dyslexia. They tested me for ADHD. They said, nope, you don't have ADHD. I said, well, well, how about just ADD? I don't need the H in there. I'm not hyper. And they said, nope, you don't have that either. Well, what am I? They said, you are L-A-Z-Y. That's what you are. I'm lazy. I'm not lazy. I give everything I can. I thought, I'm, I'm never going to graduate school. My parents graduated college magna cum laude. I'm going to be lucky if I graduate. Thank the Lottie. I mean, come on. But in the back of my mind, I started to remember the Lord is good in the stronghold of the day of trouble. Come on, these are just grades. These are grade school. <laughs> Maybe for you, but it wasn't for me. Lord is good in the stronghold of the day of trouble. Get in there and get into that test. The Lord is good in the stronghold of the day of trouble. Lord is good in the stronghold of the day of trouble. Write it down. Write, not the verse. Don't, don't write that down. What's the word? Yep, that's what I need. Lord is good in the stronghold of the day of trouble. Then I move into my adult life and, oh, the real world hits. Boom! And what do I want to do? I want to go back to school. <laughs> I want to go. I want to go back to middle school. I want to go back to high school. Get me out of the real world, please. Mom, Dad, can I move back in, please? Can I? Can I live here rent free? Can I? You know, bring my family with me and <laughs> I have all bills and all this. And I remember we were we were married maybe a, a year and a half, or well, no, a little more than a year, and uh, and, and or no, we were. It was. I'm now I'm trying to think Jackson was was newborn so somewhere in there and I remember getting home from the camp and we had a successful camp and I get home and I'm pulling in the driveway and we're unloading the car and uh, and I go in the house and all of a sudden there's a knock at my door and I go out and there's a big old fellow standing out there he goes are you Austin Hopper I said yes I am and I look over and I see he's got a tow truck parked out in the, in the road and I thought what is this guy here for he goes uh, I'm gonna need you to move your car I'm here to tow that car right there. I said, what are you here to talk? We didn't call a tow truck. I was so, I didn't know what was going on, but my car was being repoed. Thought we had everything under control. I panic, I didn't know what to do and, and, and it works out and, and I'm angry, I'm mad and I'm, I'm mad at my wife and she's mad at me and, and, and we're all God's children are mad in our house, you know, and we can't figure out what's going on. But in the back of my mind, the Lord is good in the stronghold of the day of trouble. The Lord is good in the stronghold of the day of trouble. It wasn't that we were trying to hide anything. It was just we got behind. We thought we had more time. We move. We move into a, into a house, and and all of a sudden, we're my job changes, and I can't afford my house. The Lord is good in the stronghold of the day of trouble. The Lord is good in the stronghold of the day of trouble. I'm paying my tithes. I'm trying to live right. I'm trying to be right. I'm trying to be honest, but everything seems to be going wrong in my life. We 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 we. Try to have another baby and, 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 and my wife gets pregnant and, and everything's going smooth. All of a sudden, poof, that baby's no longer a part of our family. Doesn't make it to birth or anything. And, and, and God, what is going on? The Lord is good in the stronghold of the day of trouble. The Lord is still good. I will bless the Lord at all times, bless the Lord all my soul, all that's within me. I will bless his name through the good times and the bad times. I will bless him through rainy days, through sunny days. I'm going to bless him because the Lord is good in the stronghold the day of trouble. There's days that I think that, God, I've had nothing in my life but trouble. And I want to sing that song. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. I feel like I gotta take a tin can and, and swing it across a jail gate there, you know. Nobody knows my sorrow. Clink, 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 clink. Or trouble, trouble, trouble. There's days I don't want people to encourage me. I've had those days, ladies and gentlemen. And Thomas is experiencing this. And here comes Jesus right into the middle of the trouble. Do you think that the Lord only comes to saints jumping and shouting for victory? I'm here to tell you as a living witness, he doesn't. He he comes to those, but he comes to those too that are hurting. He comes to those that are in pain. Let me tell you who he really comes to. He comes to the side of those who've lost their joy. He comes to the side of those who have lost their dance. He comes to those who have lost their victory. And they're sitting there with all kinds of troubles in their mind. And it, it is to tell you that He comes and He says, I'm going to fix this thing for you. You may think that nobody understands you. Nobody heard your cry. You thought nobody knew that you were in trouble and just because you're smiling on the outside. But let me tell you, He didn't come for the twin on the outside. He came for the twin on the inside. He came to Thomas and he said, Thomas, I'm about to fix this for you. And I believe that the Lord has us here tonight and you're watching my live stream tonight to know that he's got too much invested in you just to sit back and let you go down. God, let me say that again. God has got too much invested in you. There's too much that God has put in you to just sit back And lets you fall. He's invested in you. He loves you. He cares for you. And he sent me here tonight to tell you this. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Take that for yourself. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is God inside of me than there is a man in this world. Greater is God inside of me than a father that's in this world, than a mother that's in this world, than a sister, than a brother, than a co-worker, than a boss, than a pastor, than a preacher, than a priest. Greater is he that is within me than anyone else that is in the world. And you may sit here tonight, you may be watching tonight and say, but I don't have the faith that I used to have. It's not about the faith that you used to have. It's about the faith that God has in you. It's not about the faith that you used to have. You used to maybe sing and preach and lead and and pray people through to the Holy Ghost at this altar and, and touch hands and lay on the sick and they recover. You used to maybe have that faith, but now you don't. But God has faith in you. You're still here. You're still living. God has something prepared for you tonight. Jesus prayed for you. He already did the work. And all you have to do is stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You just have to wait on God. He may not always come when you want Him. But He's always on time. So here comes Jesus to Thomas. I wonder what it would be like to stand in the presence of God. Discouraged fearful, and looking right into his eyes, tired, worn out, burned out, no longer believing that God can save me, no longer believing that I can get out of that hurt, but, but yet I come to church and I stand in the presence of God. I got the nerve to sit in the presence of God and be worried, but yet he still comes to me. He said, tell my people that I am available to them. Tell my people that I have made myself available to the discouraged, to the disenfranchised, and to the doubting. He tells Thomas, he says, reach reach your hand out. How is it that Jesus knew what it would take specifically to make Thomas believe? When we go back and we read Scripture, we see that God came in verse 21. He spoke to the disciples. Then you go to verse 24, but Thomas was not with them. 25, we saw the Master. Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail hose in his hands, put my finger in the nail hole, stick my hand in his side, I won't believe it. Jesus had already left at that moment because Thomas didn't just show up late. Thomas wasn't there. The disciples went and found Thomas and they told him. Nobody had contact Jesus in between those eight days to say Hey, Jesus, yep, how you doing today? Well, we found Thomas, yep, yep, we did, yeah, he had some errands he had to run, yeah, y'all kids are in sports, yep, yeah, he wasn't going to be able to be there, yeah, yeah, no, grocery list was, yeah, you know, you know his wife, you know Thomas's wife, you, you know, you know her, yeah, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, we found out what Thomas needed, nobody told Jesus what Thomas needed. But Jesus walks into that room. He comes back into that room and he goes right to Thomas. See, God can hear even when he's not here. He knows what it takes for you to break through something in your life. He says, I'll be God whether you believe me or not. Because I have chosen you, I'm going to fix it so that there is no doubt in your mind that I am God. He said, look, whether you believe me or not, I'm going to show you something so that you will believe me. And whoever I'm preaching to or talking to tonight, he says, I'm going to show you where to touch. Here's my hands, here's my side. You can get your hands on the spot to empower you to serve me in this final hour. I'm going to show you exactly where you lay your hand on my side so when the devil comes against you, you can say for yourself that I know that my Redeemer lives and he is able to deliver me. I want to hear from somebody who has their hand on God to give God praise tonight. Come on, we need to give God praise for what he has done for us. But not just what he's done for us, but what he will do for us to the person who is listening to my voice tonight that is not sure this is my message to you you are so close to the answer that if you would stretch out your hand the power of god will meet you where you're at if you will stretch yourself the enemies that see you tonight you will see them no more Sometimes I just want to tell the devil, you should have killed me before I reached out, but it's too late now. You had your chance, but it's too late now because I have seen the hand of God in my life. I have seen His works happen in my marriage. I have seen Him move in my family. I have seen His joy through my children. I have seen His promises come forth. Through my finances, I've got a feeling that everything is going to be all right. Every little thing and every big thing, every difficult thing, every spiritual thing, every emotional thing is going to be all right. When you don't know what to do, you praise God until the weary you begins to dance. Until the worried you begins to praise. Until the broken you begins to shout. Because God said, I will give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And here he comes like a mighty rushing wind. He comes with a yoke breaking anointing. The cry of deliverance. God is saying, I am here to show you that I am God. And you can take this one of two ways. You can stand there in your disbelief and you can try to contradict everything that God has ever done and say, well, it was coincidence. It was luck of the draw. It was luck of, I'm Irish. It was luck of the Irish. It was this, it was that. It was this, it was somebody else. But I truly believe that God orchestrates everything that happens. I truly believe it. There, there's times it, it, it's so funny. Uh, growing up, I remember we we would put on it, when growing up in Louisville in my grandparents' church. They put on these massive productions and and uh, it, like Christmas, Easter, every type of holiday, massive productions. And I remember there was one that we were we were watching a program a few years ago that took place in in 1986 or 87 before I was born. And they made these big banners. They had PVC pipes. They had duct tape together and then then painted it all white. And they made the banners on the front. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. And they were walking through. And when they got to the finale of the program, they're walking the banners onto the platform. And one of those PVCs just fell. The man is holding the bottom. And halfway up, it just falls and it breaks. And I I remember watching this. And my grandmother gets up and she goes... Well, wouldn't you know it? The devil got in the program and he broke that banner. And my dad's sitting there and goes, I don't think it was the devil. I think it was the guy that didn't put enough duct tape around that PVC. And so we can say that God orchestrated that. Well, I don't know if that was God or not. But I believe major events in our lives that God orchestrates them. But not just the big events. I believe even the little things. The, the, the little sidebar communication, the sidebar conversation that, that happens just in passing of, hey, hey do you go to the Lighthouse? Yeah, I go to the Lighthouse. I've been thinking about coming here. You need, you need to come. Hey, I got to get going, but I hope to see you Sunday. Hey, God just orchestrated a little thing right there, a seed was planted. I was thinking about this past Sunday, and you know, I was so, I was, I was so happy a, 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 this past Sunday to see, we had, we had roughly about 120 people in the building. It was our largest crowd since coming back from the COVID outbreak and whatnot. I was so happy, and a, a, as, as Brother Kevin Lehman says, I was prouder than a big dog of this church. And what I was, so, what I was thrilled about was that, you know, we didn't do one promotion. We didn't do any Facebook promotion, we didn't send out mailers, we didn't send out cards. Everybody that was in this building was because somebody had a conversation. Somebody had a conversation with somebody and said, hey, I want you to come to church. There was people that I was texting that said, it's funny you text me, sister so-and-so had already texted me, and think that I'm going to be there Sunday. Now they didn't make it, but a seed was planted. And when I ran into them yesterday, they said, hey, I'm so sorry. Sunday morning was just complete chaos. We couldn't get out of the house in time, but we watched online. What a sermon. And they started telling me about what I preached. And I thought, hey, you know what? As long as they're watching, that's a, as far as I know, that's the first time that they watched service. That's good. A seed was planted. There's some there's people that have started coming recently. They said we haven't we we, we watched online six months before we stepped foot in the door. But the seed was planted and, and, and it grew and it grew and it grew. Before too long, the pot holding the plant couldn't hold it anymore. They just had to come into the greenhouse and experience God for themselves. God orchestrates everything that we go through, God's hand is on it. And if you can believe that, and if you can live through that and know that no matter what I'm going through, I'm about to head in through a forest that there I can't I can't hardly see the sun on the other side. But I, I know that this is what I have to go through. But God's with me. I'm gonna make it. I see storm clouds that are coming, and 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 I don't have the right rain gear for this, but but, but you know what? Maybe I can talk to somebody over here. They've been through a storm like that. Hey, what am I going to need for this storm? Hey, what rain gear am I going to need for this? Am I going to need to batten down the hatches? Or am I just going to need to put the windows up? What am I needing to do for this? If we can look at this and say, you know what? God is going to be with me through it. God is going to be with you through it. We have to trust Him. God will be with you through it. One of us is in trouble. But I thank God that he is coming for that twin that's in trouble. But we've got to bring that twin to the surface and become vulnerable and allow God to speak to us. I, I told someone the other day, and I, I've got, I'm getting ready to wrap up. I promise this is my last thing. We're going to stand and pray. But I told someone the other day, I said, since I've been through what I've been through in my life, many of you know it, you've heard me, we've talked about it here, we've preached about it here. If you don't know what I'm talking about, come privately, I'll tell you about it, or just go watch live streams. But what I have went through in the last year, it has changed my life for the better. I have, I have been through hell, ladies and gentlemen. I have been through every every almost everything that you can imagine that, that, that could happen to somebody. I feel like I've went through it, and I'm not trying to have a pity party right now. I've got victory over it, and I'm still working through it. There's things that I'm, I'm, I'm working through, and I, I shared this with you that last August. I had a mental breakdown. I, I mean, I, I, I did everything but, but go to a hospital. I, I was everything I could. And I started seeing a therapist. I started talking to a counselor to help me work through some things, to help me vent and, and to help me just figure out how to get through life. You know what? That's okay. That's okay to talk to a counselor. That's okay to talk to a person to help you. There's nothing wrong with that. But society, we have put on this this thing that says, well, if you go talk to somebody, you're crazy. Hey, call me crazy, but it works. So are you done with that, Pastor? No, I still talk to them on not a daily basis anymore. We're through that. But I talk to them on a monthly basis, sometimes two or three times a month because I'm working through it. It's okay to be vulnerable, ladies and gentlemen. This is a safe place. If you can't be vulnerable anywhere else, you can here in the house of God because we don't serve a judgmental God that says oh you did what I'm sorry I can't save you from that I can't deliver you from that I thank God that when I come to him and say God forgive me of my sins make me whole again I repent for what I've done in my past it's like all of a sudden a wall is put up And God forgets everything that was done in the past. Because he said, when your sins are forgiven, they're gone for good. He told the disciples that. Verse 22 and verse 23. He took a deep breath. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. But he said, if you don't forgive sins... What are you going to do with them? Let me sidebar one more time, and then we're going to close. Let me make this personal for you. I know this is the Holy Spirit talking to me right now. If you have an issue with a brother or a sister, God said if you forgive their sins, they'll be gone for good. But if you don't forgive their sins... Then what are you going to do with them? Are you going to carry those around the rest of your life? Are you going to take the hurt that they caused in you and put it in a bag? The pain that they caused you, put it in the bag and carry that bag around with you the rest of your life? Or are you going to lay that bag at an altar and say, I forgive you for this? I forgive you for that. I forgive you for everything in between. Now once you say that, if you truly mean it, then it's never to be brought up again. Ever. And this is a place where you can do that. I thank the Lord that he's given us that place. Let's stand and pray tonight. Lord, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for speaking... Thank you for speaking to my heart tonight. Lord, as you ministered in this place, I felt that I was ministered to. And I pray the words that I spoke from my mouth were not of me, but they were from you. That they were holy, that they were pure, that they were just. Let us receive these words tonight into our hearts, into our souls. Lord, let us go to somebody who is struggling and hurting. Show us someone who is struggling and hurting. And help us to be a friend to them and to reach out to them. Somebody that maybe we have issues with, that we have hurts against, that we have wronged against. Help us to work these out. And take those pains, those hurts, those what feel like some days piercing arrows and just throw them into the sea of forgetfulness. And let us move forward with you. Lord, I open my heart to you tonight. I unlock the doors in my home that that hide my guilt and my shame. That hide my worries and my fear. And I invite you to come in. And to help me clean my house. Lord, I don't want to be like Thomas where my whole life is... And my name is predicated upon just a few simple words. But Lord, I want to see you and I want to believe in you. And I want to show the world that you are real. Help me believe and help my unbelief. We love you tonight. We praise you tonight. We give you all the glory because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Because just simply of who you are, we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You are dismissed tonight.